Welcome to the very first episode of Soju Thoughts. I'm June. And I'm Ryan. And to be honest, we don't quite know where we're going to go with this, but talk and see see where this takes us. And uh, um, we're really glad that you're here with us. Yeah. Uh, moving on to our very first topic, which is just talking about the quarantine. You know, we've been in lockdown now for what? A couple months, I think. I think a month and a half, roughly. I think so. Yeah, roughly yeah. a month and a half. Yeah, so how, how have you been? How have you been, uh, have you been spending the time? All I've been really doing has been exercising and doing a bit of studying, such as language or uh, cookbooks. But other than that, there's nothing much that you can really do when you're in quarantine. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. Actually, before we go any further, I'm talking about our quarantines. I'd like to uh, maybe give a brief background on you and, and maybe a bit of me. But uh, let's start off with Ryan. What is your background? You know, what do you study? What do you what are you into? That kind of thing. So I'm Ryan. I'm 21 years old this year. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. <laughs> You're old, man. You're old. I'm, I, I'm, I'm an I'm a old soul in a young body. Let's just leave that. Um, I'm really interested in the culinary world and I've been working in the industry for around a year and a half so once this quarantine breaks hopefully I'll be able to find a new restaurant to continue my endeavors and Mm. let's let the viewers learn a bit more about you Jen. Well I, I am in mechanical engineering at the University of Toronto. I'm in my third year, just finished my third year and while I don't have any industry experience yet, I'm looking to grab, hopefully grab an internship over the summer and get some experience that way. So that's me. And that's you, Ryan. So yeah. um, with that out of the way, because I, you know, I just wanted to clear things up in case people were like, well, cookbook, you were talking about cookbooks and, and whatnot. So I, you know, just yeah. in case people uh, want to learn more about that. I'm surprised that you're, you're able to still work out while you're at home though. Like, have you been just doing like body weight stuff or what have you been doing? Well, I mean, the government didn't really uh, ban outside exercising, so to speak. So that is true, yeah. as long as you abide by the social distancing rules and ensure that, you know, you go at a downtime where there's not a lot of people walking around in your neighborhood or region, that's mm-hmm. pretty much a, re- a really safe area for you to be able to do. And obviously, I do more body weight workouts, so push-ups, sit-ups, and so on. Right. Just because I do not have any weights at home. But that's the only r- real way that I'm exercising during this quarantine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do what you can, right? I mean, yeah. I'm afraid that uh, I haven't really been keeping up with my um, exercising. So <laughs> you're out there, man. You're, you're well, well I mean, I there's two sides of the table, right? There's ones that are just relaxing, so to speak, playing mm-hmm. video games or doing their own studies at home. And then there's ones that rely more on their physical body to get entertained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounded a bit weird. Uh, that can go both ways. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a fair point. And um, I mean, speaking of, of like, you know, just studying and, and kind of doing your own thing. One thing I've realized is, you know, the, this quarantine prevent, it presents a perfect opportunity to be able to work on yourself and, and to learn uh, new things. Because uh, I read somewhere that, you know, if you come out of this quarantine, if you haven't learned one new skill or if you haven't learned, you know, started your new side hustle or you haven't done any of that, then you never lacked the plan. And I, and I read that and I was like, oh, man, that like, I, you know, I got to I got to get on that. And so, um, yeah, 
Well, I mean, you have a month and a half. I think you should, so far, so to speak. And I think yeah. you should do what you can do to make the most out of it, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's... Yeah, so, I mean, let's talk about what some of the things that you've been doing to, to kind of, like, work on yourself and to improve yourself. Because I know before we, um, you know, before the quarantine happened and, and we met up, we dived deeply into that conversation of, of self-improvement and, um, and motivation and all that. So I guess uh, I think that'd be yeah. an interesting topic to to delve into right now. Well, I mean, motivation, uh, there's sort of two types of motivation, right? There's the self-motivation. Yeah. And at the other end, there's the motivation that other individuals, your parents, your mentors, your teachers, your professors, even your friends. Right. And since you're in this situation now where you basically only have your parents or friends, or even maybe if you're alone, you become mm -hmm. more self-sufficient in finding your motivation to do something. Yeah, that is an interesting way to put things. Yeah. Um, and so through this, I think through this quarantine especially, it's best to, you know, learn through, go through everything properly and mm -hmm. find yourself from this place. Like find your own way of motivating yourself. Right, right. Yeah, I think that is important because all too often, you know, we fall into the trap of, relying on others and relying on, a, you know, external factors to keep us going. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's only us, right? You know, yeah. we can't really rely on anybody else for that kind of thing. Exactly. Have you been in the way of that? Like, have you been doing anything to kind of increase your self-sufficiency in that, in that area? Sort of. Yeah. I, w I would say the only thing that I haven't fully been able to is wake up on time. But <laughs> at the same at the same time <laughs> at the same time it's in yourself that you have either a physical or a mental schedule while doing this so for my yeah. schedule it would look like in the morning i'd wake up have breakfast that would be like from 10 o'clock or well, wake up do my morning exercises so that goes until 10 30 mm -hmm. and then eat breakfast and from 11 to around 3.30 in the afternoon, I'd be studying. So right now I'm studying French so oh, at okay. the moment. So I'd be studying with a lunch break in between. And from 3.30 on, I would go out for an exercise uh, and come back at around 5 or so, take a shower, and then have dinner mm -hmm. with my family. And then after that would be sort of my downtime to do what I need to do and what I want to do. Yeah, damn, wow, you uh, yeah. definitely get a lot more done than me. <laughs> well, I mean, how does your schedule look so far, you know? I mean, I've been, I've been trying all these different methods and whatnot to, to try to keep myself, you know, on track. But what um, I into is around 11 or 12. <laughs> and, and then I, I you know, I, I, that's when I start reading, actually, um, because I've realized, you know, I just, want, I just wanted to catch up on some books that I haven't been able to read. Yeah. So, you know, just start reading. So I, I think I'd I start reading from 12 to, I don't know, maybe about two and then two to um, like four, maybe I'll be working on my side hustle or my business, something related to that. Four onwards, I guess I'm just kind of loafing around up until, you know, when I sleep at, at 3 a.m. in the morning or whatever. So it's <laughs> definitely not productive, definitely not the best schedule, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah, of course. I mean, no one's perfect, right? Everyone loves to loaf around. I like, I enjoy loafing around. Yeah. Um, no one, yeah, no one's picture perfect when it comes to things like this. Yeah. Although I want to ask you, um, because you know, again, when we were talking from before, 
you know, to me, it seems like you have a lot of self-discipline, self-motivation, and, and you have that drive to keep yourself on track. So what are some methods and what are some strategies that you've been using to keep that schedule to make sure you keep going? One, obviously, if you tell your parents about your schedule, they'll you know just force you to do it, essentially. That's <laughs> right. one way of doing it. Um, another way is just repetition, right? Once your body gets used to, you know, your wake, your wake, like your regular wake up time. So for me, it should be around ten o'clock. But once mm-hmm. your body gets used to that, it begins to sort of get used to the habit of what you do afterwards. And if you keep right. doing basically the exact same thing over and over again, it doesn't seem super hindering, tiring after the day is over. And you, you, right. your body gets used to it and adjusted to it so that it's, you're doing what you love to do. So, I mean, I guess the next like follow-up question will be until you get that habit, until you form, you know, that routine, do you have any like mechanisms or do you have any uh, self checks to ensure that, you know, you, you keep waking up and you keep doing the thing or, cause here's the thing about like routines and the difficult thing about routines is, until you form that habit, like there's nothing keeping you in check, right? Like you're afraid to do whatever until the habit forms. Yeah, of course. Um, so like, you know, have over the, over the years, have you come up with anything that like helps you ensure that, you know, you do, that you make that habit? The most important thing to speak, so to speak, to speak on would be your mentality. You know, as soon yeah. as you wake up, you have to have the mindset of doing, of, okay, this is exactly what I have to do today. And you got to mm-hmm. put your foot down to it. Like, it's like pedal to the metal, essentially. That's what your brain has to go through before you even start uh, your day. So, like, as soon as you start, as soon as you wake up, that's mm-hmm. the mentality you have to have. Like, the Mamba mentality. Okay. Until, so like- and drive yourself to do it until you're used to it. So it's it's a lot of self-discipline. It's a lot of uh, grunt, is yeah. what you're saying. Essentially, you need to find your own way because everyone has a different way of encouraging themselves, right? Yeah. But you have to find your own way to encourage yourself to be able to do to be able to achieve what you want. You can't always rely on someone outside to tell you, oh, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. Because in the end, that doesn't benefit you. That, that, like, the other, it doesn't benefit the other person. That doesn't benefit you either. Because you're yeah. just doing what the other person wants. You're not doing what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, you know, based on this, what you're saying is, um, like, I mean, first of all, you got to know what you want to do, right? Like, that's what exactly. you're saying. Right? Like, know what you want to do and then figure out a plan to, to keep doing what you want to do. And so yeah, it becomes exactly. like a self-fulfilling, um, self-fulfilling act almost. Yeah. I tried that. And, you know, when before the quarantine hit, like, I had that going well for me. You know, I had a morning routine set up. and Yeah. I was doing really well. And then and then the quarantine hit and, and I don't know why, but like like everything just went just went to shit. Like I I I, I, I like my routine um went out of whack, my sleeping schedule's all out of whack. The work, the quality of work I produce is dramatically poor. Um yeah, like so I, I don't understand. Like it's just I, yeah, I really but don't understand. You gotta be you gotta understand this concept. You know, once you're in a routine that your body's very used to, once mm-hmm. something as big, like a big event such as the quarantine happens and mm-hmm. it, everything goes awry, your sort of your body's unable to your mentality and your body's unable to cope with sudden changes. So then yeah, you have is- to start from square one again, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're at level five already. 
but then boom, this quarantine hits, everything goes awry. You go back mm-hmm. down to square one and you're like, okay, what am I here for now? Right? You're, yeah. you're going to be lost for a certain bit of time until you're able to regain your, uh, regain the new menu, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then that's when things will start to improve from there. So I wouldn't, if I were you, like, I wouldn't be too worried. You know, it's, yeah. it's normal. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, this is temporary. I and mean, if anything, like, you know, it, it's interesting you bring up, like, the square to square one thing and, 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 and like the shock because it makes you realize just how um, important, like, or just how much importance we place on on places on location right like you know thinking back to my routine before the quarantine hit i realized a lot of my scheduling had to do with what where i was at at a specific time right it's i wake up and then i go to the gym and then i you know go to school and i like it's it right and suddenly everything's completely unavailable and you're just lost like oh what can i do yeah Yeah. exactly like i can't go to the gym I, i i can't go to school i can't you know, meet up with friends or whatnot. Yeah. So, I, yeah. But I think it's a good experience for for us all. Yeah. Because it's not sure. every day, you know, you get to experience the opportunity to just be completely alone and, and just be at home, right? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, especially those that grew up in, like, the suburbs, the city, we're very mm-hmm. used to socializing with other individuals. And it's not more so online or on FaceTime or on the phone. It's more yeah. so physical, physically, mm-hmm. you know, you, mm-hmm. you go mm-hmm. out, you enjoy a cup of coffee or you go to a nice restaurant with your friends, family, girlfriend. Or Those are the certain things that make us feel in, intact with regular life, so to speak, compared right, to right. now where you're just, okay, I'm stuck every day at home and I have nowhere to go and I'm bored. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and uh, yeah no that's a really big thing boredom like it's like you know forget about the scheduling like the boredom is a really big part too right yeah but that's because everyone thinks that they have nothing to do right it's also a mentality thing at the same time everyone's like okay Mm -hmm. there's literally nothing available to me because once you take out socializing from our human nature the rest just feel like a task like it's not something that we want to do yeah, that is. True. But once you add that back in, it's more like, oh, I'm I'm really intrigued. I really want to do this again. So are you are you saying that you're not that bored during this uh, quarantine? I'm I'm saying that I've adapted in a way where I'm able to cope with it. Ah, okay, yeah, and that's important, right? I yeah. mean, obviously, at the beginning, I was bored out of my mind. But what's important <laughs> is you have to adapt to the situation that you're in, right? Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I guess, I think it's nice to see that, like, the, you know, all these, like, startups and all these companies are kind of helping us, like, get past that boredom. Like, you know, like with Netflix, yeah. Tinder with the Tinder passport and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, re- it's really nice to see that the, they're, the small companies are helping us out as well. But, you know, you also have to rely on yourself um, with these companies. Because oh, yeah. for me, I'm not the type of person that's able to sit. I don't know about you, but I'm not the type of person that's able to sit eight hours on a couch binge watching the show because oh, yeah, I've no, done yeah. that before and that ended up with headaches the very next day. So Yeah, it's not fun. It's, it's not, not ideal. Yeah, you feel like crap the next morning. Like you just feel all groggy and like, yeah, it just feels bad, man. I, I know that you're going back to Ottawa to, you know, work as a, um, a sous chef, was it? Yeah. Yeah, at, at a restaurant with your buddy. 
headway in that? Like, have you come up with new menu plans or what do you guys have done on that front? Well, honestly, the only, like, one of the biggest things that happened during this quarantine, and it really hit hard, mm-hmm. would be down of a lot of restaurants in this industry, right? Like, all yeah. those privately owned restaurants are struggling financially mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. because they're unable to meet ends with no customers. And, you know, they're unable to provide their service through food orders. So, like, Uber right. Eats and all So. As of right now, that uh, that position in Ottawa isn't super solid. Uh, we still mm-hmm. have to see how things play out over the next month or two before the decision is final. But yeah, uh, we've already developed a new menu. We have all the orders basically ready, and we're just I, we're, well. We're hoping that things work out really well, even if it doesn't. I hope I'll be able to end up in a nice place as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, this this quarantine real or like this pandemic really has uh messed up a lot of people's plans, right? Like it's yeah, yeah. The good thing is it's helping the environment a little bit, so to speak. You know? Animals are turning back to their habitats. <laughs> yeah, and but you know the grass is a bit greener, so to speak, but at the same time it's we're, there's we're a balance too, that needs to happen. Yeah, we're not doing too hot right here. Yeah. Like, like yeah, you know, it's fine that the animals are coming back and whatnot, but also like economy wise, so to speak. Yeah. So do you have like a backup plan in case uh in case things don't work out for your position in Ottawa or you're just gonna see how it goes? Well, I'm obviously not gonna bet hundred percent on the Ottawa location right now. <clears throat> I'm sure after once this quarantine breaks, there's going to be a lot of restaurants that may reopen or new restaurants opening as well. So Mm-hmm. You know, knowing this information, it, it sort of gives me the confidence of being like, okay, even if this one doesn't happen, I know I'll be able to find a different place to work at. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's a super bad decision either. Yeah, no, that, that know, kind of Just keeping your options it. open and mm-hmm. know how to play your cards. Yeah, no, that's powerful, man. That, like, that kind of thinking is powerful. Often we get hung up, like we we put certain events and people and ideas on pedestals, right? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, get this girl's number. And if I don't date her, I'll be so, you know, whatever. Right? Like, I got to get this job. And, and, and I find that that kind of like putting things on pedestals creates a lot of friction and, and it kind of induces a lot of stress. So, so my, my, my approach to things like this would be approach everything with an open mind. Mm-hmm. So for me, let's say I didn't get the job I really wanted. And I was like, I tried hard. You know, I thought I did really well through the uh, interview and the testings and the orientation, but Mm -hmm. I didn't get the job. Mm -hmm. And you have to put this into perspective. Maybe that job is not suited for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's the next one you apply to and the next one you accept. Yeah. Yeah. As well known, or they might not be as like, you don't think they're as good as the first one that you applied to. But things may turn out even better for you at the location. Or the third location. Yeah. So yeah. I think people should take rejection with like a really open mind. Mm-hmm. And I know, I understand that, you know, when it comes to uh, schools and education, you know, everyone wants to go to the top of the top. Yeah. But in my opinion, it's the professor that ends up counting or who, your mentors that end up counting towards your future, right? Not just, right. Not just where you graduate from. Yeah, it's not just the name. I mean, it's just the name. Yeah. Right? Like, it really doesn't. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. You have to prove yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of which, like, I know you have uh, some opinions on this, but 
post-secondary education, college, university, whatever it may be, like, I think you can, you and I can both agree. It's not that important. It's not, yeah. Cause like a lot of people act, you know, a lot of people treat it as if like, it's like the end all be all. Like I have to get into this university or else I'm fucked, right? Like, or else it's, you know, my life yeah, is over. Yeah, whatever. for sure. But I mean, you finished your program, you finished your culinary program. I'm in my third year of my mechanical engineering program. It's, it's really not that important. It's not, it's not that, it's nothing special really. Yeah, well, that sort of ties back to, like, your mentors, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, like, yes, I did go to quite a well-known culinary program, and I did graduate out of it. But a lot of my classmates graduating, <laughs> but uh, let's just say they didn't do very well mm. throughout the whole course. You know, they didn't put the heart, they didn't yeah. put the effort into it. So, in my opinion, it's it doesn't matter what you end up in terms of post-secondary or if you just go straight into the mm-hmm, trades. Mm-hmm. What matters the most is that you put your effort into what you're Yeah, doing. learning learning right. the skills necessary to do the things you want to do, right? Yeah, Let, like let's say there's a course that you really mm-hmm. don't need. Like let's say I took a hospitality management course, but then I have to take biochemistry, mm-hmm. right? That's obviously just going to end up wearing that way at me, but I just need the mark yeah. for it. So I think that's one of the flaws within post-secondary education where it's, yeah, you have to take the courses that you need for your major, but as well, you have to take side courses or other courses in order to graduate. I think that's the part where I wouldn't agree with because, I mean, if someone wants to go into a specified field and they applied for that program towards that specified Mm -hmm. field, they don't really need to learn as much of something else yeah. that's not related to it at the program at all. Kind of just specialize into the thing that you signed up for. Yeah, exactly. Conversely, like, I mean, I, I agree with you on that, but uh, just yeah. personally, like, you know, I, I think, especially for engineering and, and for like STEM related uh, degrees or programs, I think they yeah. don't give us enough options to take other courses outside of the program. You know, like we only get four electives for all four years right and you know everything else is just math and science and 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 like all this like dry stuff and i'm like yeah you know i i think it's because I, I personally think it's important for other people to, for people to experience things and network with people outside of their field right yeah of course yes um because that's where most of the innovation happens so you mm. know i personally would love to take a take arts courses and history courses and philosophy courses and, and learn more about that field. But, you know, the way my program is set up just doesn't allow me to, to do that. So, I mean, I, in fact, like I've actually considered postponing my degree by year and, and just taking right. a year off and, and just studying all the things that I really want to study. So, you know, uh-huh. and, and philosophy and economics and all that. Yeah. Um, just to see, just to learn, you know, like just because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like, you know, like it's easy to get caught up in, in the school system of things, right? Like it's easy, easy, yeah. it's easy to just focus on the grades, just focus on you know, passing or just focusing on getting the degree. But, you know, I found my, I found myself actually in the beginning in the first like two years, not really learning, but still getting good marks. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't learn yeah. at all. I don't remember anything I learned from the first two years, but like I got the mark right. by the system. I'm doing well. So, you know, I, I just want to take a year off and, and, and learn for the sake of learning and just really like kind of hone my skills in that field, in, in that area. Well, yeah. I mean, well, at this point, schools, uh, such as UFT, Western, they're so big to the fact that they're unable to focus on the student needs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So essentially, everything just becomes a numbering system. I think that's also a flaw within the school system, which is everything becomes a numbering system. Uh, 
who you are as a student, they really do not care, so to speak. You're just a number to them. And they only want to see the numbers progress. Other than that, personal interests and personal affairs uh, are something that they don't really keep in mind. And it's things that they expect you to do, you know? Yeah, Uh, yeah. And, you know, there's the argument you could join a club or join whatever as well. But that's completely different from being in a class where you want to learn something, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, there's a history club maybe. But at the same time, maybe it's only the people that already know their stuff. That's where they go to socialize. And if you mm. enter and if you join in, you'll sort of get the feeling of being a social outcast, so to speak. Obviously, yeah. they'll probably like welcome you with open arms and all that. But at the same time, you'll be like, okay, I don't really feel like I belong here. And I don't even know if I really enjoy it. So you might mm-hmm. end up set, signing yourself up for something that you might just end up <laughs> leaving after two days. <laughs> yeah that that's happened a lot to me whereas um, like the class just gives you a taste of what it is yeah and, and it gives you the option to pursue it further if you if you really do enjoy it yeah um yeah so like you know I'm, I'm graduating a year or two late and learning what i actually want to learn um i don't think that's a bad thing though i think yeah it's not, it's not i mean uh, i know some people like they put a stigma on it like graduating late they're they're kind of like oh you, know, you graduated late or whatever um, did you fail a course? Ooh, but like, like who cares, right? Like, who, who cares what other it people think? At this point, personal, like, when you're in education, and I'm not telling you to be selfish, but personal interest is m- more the way to go oh, yeah. compared to, um, you know, back in high school where socializing or whatever is the way to go, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's perception starts becoming different, you know? And, it, and the people that don't really accept you for what you're doing, they, at, they're coming standpoint where they don't understand why mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right they're so they're so focused on their own thing that they don't they're unable to perceive how others think and that's mm-hmm. that's why people get discouraged when going on like gap years or taking a year off or wanting to add another year because they're like oh that means i'm a loser that gives them that mentality of oh yeah. i might probably just be a loser or whatever but in yeah. truth even sometimes completely changing a year like from what you're studying mm-hmm. it could really like freshen up mind and give you new ideas and a new approach on how to do things yeah for sure for sure i took one course as my elective uh in second year and and you know it's just history you know you're going through the different things but the thing that course taught me was like how to pay attention to detail and how to um apply certain principles or certain ideas and i found that you know those teachings were actually helping me in my engineering courses, exactly. And, you know, I, I started drawing parallels that I would not have seen had I not taken that course. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with you on that. That like, kind of just go out there and explore their options and, and just do things without having to worry about, uh, without worrying what other people think and without yeah. worrying about the stigma or whatever. For sure. Yeah, I mean, you kind of uh, experienced a bit of that when you were back graduate, back in right? high school. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want um, to talk a bit about that? Or yeah, of course. So basically, in secondary school, I'm I'm just gonna put this out there. In high school, their teachers are absolute asses. Like, <laughs> and it, not all of them, but most of them, because yeah. they're complete hypocrites on what they say. You know, as you know, at the beginning of grade nine, they welcome you into the school. And they're like, "Oh, welcome to Hague." You know, um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. this is. Um, we're going to be here to guide you and support you all the way along uh, throughout high school to 
achieve what you want to be. Right. Now, mind you, I want, I always wanted to go into the culinary industry since I was like, what, 12, 13 years old. So it's stuck on me for a while. And <laughs> as I progressed in high school, everything, I realized everything slowly became focused solely on academics. You know, mm-hmm. they, no one really cared about what you thought. They just wanted to see good grades and mm-hmm. it hit really hard in grade 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, grade 12, I remember going into my English class and I was like, oh, you know, uh, there's a cooking um, competition within the school and I was asked if I could volunteer. So I asked to be dismissed from class, my English teacher to be dismissed from class. Mm-hmm. And he just says, he looks at me and he goes, where's cooking going to take you in life compared to English? <laughs> and that, that as a 17 year old and not, and like already hesitant about going into it because you're being judged by your peers. And then having mm-hmm. that teacher hit that hammer on the nail, mm-hmm. it really, really hurt. Um mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that they were, they're self-conscious about how they're approaching their students, you know? And, yeah. but then at that point, it was also wake-up wake up call for me. Because I was like, okay, you know what? I've been wanting to do this for what? Since I was 12, 13 years old, you know, I've mm-hmm. already had a, a bit of experience in the industry and I really enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. I have to put my foot down and go. So, okay, so, that, so that kind of like resistance, you know, that yeah, it was, it was a bit of a you. resistance opposition, but at the same time, it really hurts, uh, so to speak. And a lot of people are unable to overcome that mentality mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. oh, people are going to judge. Like, I almost dropped out of my program just to go to drop George Brown mm-hmm. since it was more well known in Toronto. But at the end of it, I was like, screw this, I'm not gonna deprive myself of two years or I don't know how long their program is two years in a well-known culinary school in Toronto when my goal is to go somewhere international or somewhere that's more ideal for me right Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, that's a tough call to make like that's yeah I'm sure like you had some uh pretty deep thoughts to yourself on on how to advance for that yeah it was uh, a couple days but once once you're through that part you're through you know like mm-hmm. and you know especially growing up in an asian household that just doubles as well <laughs> with the pressure from your outside family yeah but yeah. do what you love to do that's important mm-hmm. how did you um find out that you know going to the culinary arts was your thing how did you find out that that was what you were good at or that was what you enjoyed um it, it might sound a bit stupid. <laughs> no, go for it. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. But uh, when I was, um, when I first started, you know, thinking about my career, I was like, what, grade six? So I was even younger. I was, what, 12, 11, 12 years old when I seriously thought about it. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to be a marine biologist to start off with, which is okay. like, completely like on the opposite spectrum of yeah. what I want to do now. <laughs> That's, yeah. And then I realized, I was like, oh, crap, I'm really, really bad <laughs> at science, like biology. Like, that's, yeah. biology is not my thing. So I dropped that. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then when grade seven hit, I was like, all right, you know what? I kind of want to be a electrician. Okay. Right? 
Now, for me, that seemed really ideal. You know, I even had like a small electrical kit I would play with. Mm-hmm. And, and my parents gave me the realization that I was scared shitless of heights. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know what? You're right. It work out for me either. And I remember just going down and I turned on that, uh, I turned on the TV and funny enough, MasterChef was on. Oh. And I don't remember what they were doing, but then I just saw this lady present like a beautiful, you know, dish to the judges. And I was like, you know what? I really want to do that. You know, I want to take a raw ingredient Mm -hmm. that's an ingredient in its pure form Mm -hmm. and transition that into something delicious. That was, that's my mentality at that point. Mm -hmm. And it started grow. It started growing more and more on me over the years. And, and by around grade 11, grade 12, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to finalize on it. You know, I put the stamp on it. I was like, I want to go down this path. And you haven't looked back since, like you're still in the industry, you're going strong. You got that experience. I mean, at this time, it's very, you know, for those that are still doubting, you know, what they want to go through, even if you're like, what, 25, like what's career want to go into, it's okay. You know, it's really, it's not often that one person really gets to find what they want to do at such a young age, but eventually that, that just, that ends up growing. Yeah. I think a lot of times, like we get a lot of pressure, like, especially starting from high school, we get a lot of pressure on like, Oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to go? Like what university are you going to go to? What program are you going to study? What do you, you know? The thing is, like, the fact of the matter is, like, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Like, how are you supposed to figure out your entire life by by the end of high school, right? Like, I'm just going to say this. You're doing your career for you. You're not doing it for mm-hmm. someone else. You could yeah. give less of a crap of what someone else thinks that you should do because it's your life, you know? Yeah. If you're going to let someone decide your decisions, you know, back to the quarantine, like, letting someone tell you what to do, you're more more so just like a dog, right? Because you're just like, oh, sit, stand. You have, mm-hmm. You're unable to have that freedom of being what you wanted. Yeah, you're not thinking for yourself. Yeah, exactly. And that's um, and a really important um, factor that you have to have for yourself. But I think a lot, you know, I think where the confusion happens is, uh, you know, for households, for like kind of like drill at the kids from when they were young you know you got to be a lawyer you got to be a doctor you got to be an engineer eventually i think you start because you know maybe you didn't you don't want to become a lawyer mm-hmm. maybe you don't want to become a doctor but because you've been hearing that lie for so long you kind of just accept it as fact and and, and trick yourself into thinking yeah i want to be a lawyer yeah i want to be a doctor which you know that's i think that's super dangerous because 10 15 30 years down the line you might find out that you don't actually want to be a lawyer and, yeah, and, then you, and you're like, "Fuck! What are I gonna do now? Like, I got, I got two kids, I got a house, I got a mortgage to pay. Like, I can't, yeah. I can't just quit my job." Yeah, it, it's, it is like a systematic thing. I think it's a, it's an issue with the system, where it kind of just brainwashes you. You know? Yeah. So for me, fortunately enough, my parents, you know, were very accepting of what I really wanted to do, and I know there's people out there that maybe your parents or your family members won't approve or don't really approve too much of what they want to go into because mm-hmm. they want to see see success, you know. But for me, success for, like, me or an individual that's around my age should be happiness. I think that's okay. what success should translate into. And I'm not saying that you're going to earn a lot of money, you know, but I'm yeah. saying that you're going to be able to afford a living with what you do, mm-hmm. you know. You're enjoying what you do every day. 
and you know your parents don't need to worry about you and you don't need to worry about uh, the money that you're making so to speak because mm-hmm. you know you're able to support yourself with it yeah that you're self-sustaining right and i, I also understand the facts why parents you know push to be lawyers doctors and so on and it's because it's safety net so to speak you know right you get into any of these occupations one you earn money and two it's a good job yeah i'm, I'm not gonna lie like if you i was able to read be a doctor or if i could be a doctor now yeah and i had the capabilities of it i would probably go into that field yeah but at the same time it's it's more of their interest than it is of yours right mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. the play out that's the difference of it where you're not really enjoying it. so you know the and at the end of it, it sort of comes and bites you in the ass because then let's say you're sick and you go see a doctor that's not super passionate or super understanding about what's really happening. Yeah. yeah. And that could <laughs> send you down the wrong road. So like yeah. in terms of medicine and all that. I'm not saying yeah. they don't know their stuff. They just don't want to do it. Yeah, they just don't care that much. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, like linking this back to high school teachers, I think a lot of high school teachers, they don't want to be there. You know, they don't yeah. want to, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have, have a lot of high school teachers that, um, whose interests align with mine. And and when your interests align with your teacher, especially in high school, like beautiful things happen. Like, you know, they yeah. point you to all these resources, they put, you know, they help you network, they point you to, to these contacts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of times I think they really don't care and they're just doing it to get the money to just, you know, pay off the bills. It's good benefits too, right? Yeah, your exactly. teacher, they're really good benefit. But at the same time, you're not helping the future generation grow. You're not helping them develop. You're not helping them understand who they really are, right? Yeah, if you just like do your job, spew out some shit, and then leave, like you're not really helping anybody. That's just yeah. I know, like we're not supposed to judge anybody and and whatnot, but yeah, I think I think that is one uh, one problem that has to be addressed. Um, well, else... I don't think it's judging, but yeah, it has to be a problem that's brought in, onto the surface, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, especially for our school, you know, Earl Haig, what, well, from what I know, was a really prestigious school. So mm-hmm. what people would do would be they lie about the area that, that they live in, so that they're, they're able to go to our school to get that education. Yeah. And yeah, when you have thing. such a namesake, so to speak, and you're not fulfilling that, that sort of makes it really pathetic, no? It's like people have like lied about where they live to come here and you just kind of yeah. have this like shitty attitude about teaching. Exactly. Another thing that happens when you're so focused or you being forced into a new situation or a situation mm-hmm. that you don't want to be in is that stress starts to manifest. And I think that's like a really important topic to touch upon, especially okay. when you're in school and all that. What do you mean by stress starts to manifest? Back to the school thing, you know, going into good post-secondary, going into, mm-hmm. you know, getting the high grades, getting scholarships, getting all that. You know, I mm-hmm. get scholarships are really important. And I agree with that working hard towards a scholarship is going to help financially for but maybe you and your family. But the thing is, people might not be able to cope with the stress that they have. Let's say your child is, you're forcing your child to go into medical. But what yeah. you don't know is that they're basically up until like 12 a.m. every day or 3 a.m. every day studying their ass off. They mm-hmm. cry for an hour after that, sleep <laughs> for like five and they have to go straight to school, like three or four and they have to go straight to school. 
and that just starts to become a whole burden for your kids. And yeah. what ends up happening is they have to find a way to relieve that stress. So it's either mm-hmm. they get pissed off at someone else, like, you know, th- their attitude completely just blows up mm-hmm. where they get, you know, maybe they blow up at their friends, you know, they start disrespecting other individuals or B, they go into maybe, you know, drugs or they start smoking and all of that bad, like really bad habits. Yeah. And the last last one would be that not being able to fulfill what you ask them to do. Oh, okay. So it's like because, you know, because you're forcing something upon your kid and because the kid is trying so hard to be something that the kid isn't. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, that it's not leads that they, to the they isn't trying too hard, you know, like to mm-hmm. try to well, achieve what you want them to do. Well, I mean, I mean, if you were never planning on becoming a doctor, but your parents keep forcing you to, I, mean, I guess that's kind of like, you trying to be something that you're not like, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. If my parents told me to like study to become a doctor or whatever that I can tell, I can tell you for sure. I am going to be studying my ass off to become something that I'm not because I'm yeah. just not interested in that. Exactly. And I'm just not, that's just not how I work. Well, it's um, a build, it's a buildup of stress, right? Eventually, yeah. like, let's say it's a bubble. Mm-hmm. At first you slowly inflate, let's say high school. Yeah. At the beginning of high school, that's when you fully start to inflate that bubble. And by the end of high school, it's already at their breaking point. And then what happens next? University. Oof. So bubbles continues to start to stretch, stretch, stretch. And eventually there has to be a breaking point because none of this is, none of the air is escaping. So it's yeah. just pressure on pressure on pressure on pressure. And that breaking point could potentially be dangerous, so to speak, right? You never know. You don't know what someone's going to do once they reach that breaking point. Maybe they'll have a complete mental freak out. Maybe they're going to have to go to a psycho rehab just to be yeah. able to understand who they are anymore since they're sort of yeah. living so, so false in a sense you know a lot of people um you know career and and your job and whatnot for a lot mm-hmm. of people it's a big very big part of their identity right and so if you mm-hmm. later on discover that the thing that you've, you've been working on isn't really you and it was just an idea that was transplanted in your head by your parents mm-hmm. You have some serious. I think you'd have some serious identity crises. Like you'd be like, "Who am I? Like, what, yeah. what have I been? What have I been doing all this time?" Right. Yeah. Like it's, and I think a lot of you know, I'm not middle aged yet, so I wouldn't know. But I think that's how middle life, midlife crises start. For sure, they start questioning, like, "What am I doing? Why am I here?" At the same time, you can't really tell someone under stress to like make the most out out of it. I think that's mm-hmm. like one of the worst things you can do. In my opinion, the best thing to do if you know someone is stressed or understand that they might be close to a breaking point is completely take them out. And mm. I'm, but you have to be a good friend towards that person or you have to be someone that the person understands your actions to be able to do something like this. Because if, you, if you're just a random stranger or if you're just someone that cares, and you're like, oh, you know, you're studying too much. Uh, you should rest that might increase that stress to them yeah but if yeah, you're a because... good friend and you're they understand where you're coming from and why then they'll be they'll be more willing to hear you out you're right because um i think a lot of times you know we're going back to studying a lot because that's just kind of what we've experienced but obviously this can be applied to other situations but yeah. you know when you're studying a lot that kind of becomes a, a way of life and so if if it becomes very difficult to tell someone who's always been studying to just stop studying, they're just like, well, you know, I'm going to fail yeah. like six tests tomorrow or whatever. I got all these things to do. I don't have time. I mean, that was me for the longest part. That was me. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like, you know, my parents got to chill for a bit. I'll be like, no, no, no. Like I, I, I got like all these different things to do and 
I can't rest. And mm-hmm. so my motto for the longest time was there's no rest for the wicked. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just fucking fully, I was the full embodiment of wickedness in my mind. I was like, yeah, you're the fucking mm-hmm. devil and you're not having any rest until, you know, you get the yeah. shit done. Yeah, no, I, I reached my breaking point. <laughs> uh, and you might know this, but I, I reached my breaking point in November of 2019. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, it was not pretty. It was not fun at all. Yeah. But I'm glad it happened. I'm, yeah. The thing about breaking points is you definitely don't want to experience, like you don't want to be in the position where you have to get have a breaking point. But when <laughs> it happens, if it happens, you're a lot more relieved that it did, than it yeah it's sort of like a breath of fresh air for you once that happens i mean i think once you break past that breaking point you start to find yourself working more efficiently on what you want that is true that is true yeah because like i noticed that um you know before my breaking point and i was investing all my time into my studies and, and studying for these tests and whatnot i realized that my grades aren't that much better then after yeah. my breaking point, and I started to like loosen up, and I started to look at things from a different perspective. Like, yeah, you know, my grades before then were obviously a bit higher, mm-hmm. but only by a couple percent. Like, it's and and I think to myself, is like, was all that stress mm-hmm. and all that anxiety was worse. It really? Yeah, was it really worth the extra like percent? I mean, first of all, grades don't matter at all. So why the fuck would mm-hmm. you be worrying about them at all? But even when you did worry about them, they they weren't even that much that much higher than they are right now. Mm-hmm. So I was like. Huh, maybe I can just start, you know, chilling a bit and start living life and, and finding a balance. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, <laughs> this year, I didn't do anything. Like, I, mm-hmm. I did the bare minimum to just get by. And, you know, not all my... But I'm doing okay. Like, I, you know, I'm getting, like, 80s and stuff. Like, I'm doing okay. And I barely did any work this semester. And I'm like, holy shit. That's actually pretty good, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no... <laughs> Because, like, before, before I'd be getting, like, when I was putting all, all my effort and stuff, I'd be getting, like, 85s and stuff, like, 4.0s. And mm-hmm. afterwards, when I realized that marks really don't matter, you know, 80 mm-hmm. is still, like, a three-point. I don't remember what it is. I think it's, like, a 3.7 or something, which is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with an 80. Like, yeah, I'll take it. And, and, I, and I had a lot more fun. I made new friends, met a lot of new people, went to these different events. Uh, had new experiences my quality of life improved overall and my marks didn't take that yeah, much of a hit exactly so. well it's it's also that not that marks don't matter but you need to understand how to apply what you learn in your work yeah. area yeah. you know you could have like a 4.0 gpa you could be like the perfect student but let me tell you something once you get thrown into society you're thrown mm-hmm. at the bottom of the food chain so to speak mm-hmm. the society food chain and yeah, yeah. if you're to cope and you're unable to adapt and unable to apply what you learn your mm-hmm. 4.0 gpa your prestigious student award all that just goes straight into the garbage yeah it really doesn't matter uh, in the context yeah exactly you know unless you're doing theory and it's more straightforward but other than that what you learn is more important than what the marks you get yeah like and the thing is the best way to learn, I'm, you know, you'll probably agree with me on this. The best way to learn is to fail, right? It, it's to experience yeah. failure and, and to overcome that failure. But the system is set up in a way that if you fail, you're punished for it, right? You don't get the good marks or you don't get whatever. If you fail, the system doesn't reward you for learning. It rewards you for just getting good marks yeah, and just studying hard. But like, you know, I, I learned the most when I got a 25% on my midterm. <laughs> like, yeah. that was this semester. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, I didn't really study because I thought, you know, I was like, whatever. But 
Um, I was out too busy partying and whatnot. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I got a 25 on my midterm and I actually learned the things that I was missing that I didn't pick up during lecture. Yeah. And on the final, I think I got like 100 or something from mm-hmm. the mark up considerably. So you definitely earn and get into the real world, right? When you, when you graduate, and there's nobody marking you. There's nobody giving you grades, right? So no. if you don't fail, in, in other words, that habit of not wanting to fail from, from school carries on into, your, mm-hmm. into the real world which means you don't really learn anything in the real world, right? Like you go out no. there because you were trained from such a young age through the school system to be afraid of failure. By the time you graduate, mm-hmm. by the time you go into the real world, you're, you don't want to fail. You don't know how to fail. You don't know how to learn mm-hmm. from it. And you're just kind of like playing it safe and just you know, like this super safe life and whatnot. But like, you don't yeah, learn. You're just it. dipping your toes in the water. Yeah. yeah. So and it, I don't think that's a very fulfilling life. Like if you just, graduate and you go into the workforce and you're working for somebody else for the next 50 60 years of your life mm-hmm. that's i don't think that's very uh, fulfilling like you're not really learning for yourself you're not really living life on your own terms it feels very mediocre <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, you're, you're just living a really really mediocre life because you don't understand anything else other than that but, but yeah basically uh for me i learned the most when i failed uh, mm-hmm. you know when i was in culinary school i did quite well you know, I was, I was doing, I did quite well and I ended up graduating among the top of the students of my class. Right. And I got hired to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say this. My chef shit on me so hard. (laughs) The first like two weeks in the restaurant. And that that was my wake up call. I was like, okay, like, did I just go to the school and learn nothing at all? But, you know, I've obviously experienced different failures from before. But what comes out of this is that you work harder. You know, you find yourself working harder. You find yourself wanting to improve more. And that's yeah. what uh, your employer wants to see from you. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see just, oh, you're just doing a mediocre job. No. They want someone that's able to take initiative, become a leader, uh, like lead themselves to excel at what you, they want you to do. Yeah, exactly. They don't just want robots anymore. Cause... Yeah. They could just hire a robot, like especially with AI and whatnot. Like, yeah, you know, those jobs are going to get replaced pretty quickly. So, exactly, yeah, they want you to be able to think. Yeah, I don't think. I, oh, yeah, honestly, like, don't take failure as something that's very bad. Like, I know often it's like a percep, like a really bad perception that oh, you failed this test or oh, you failed, you know, in, in like from elementary to high school, right? Oh, you failed this, you failed that. That means you're mm-hmm. useless. And I think that's something that isn't right, where you're ha- where you have to condemn your child and tell them that oh you're useless or oh we're gonna succeed if you fail. But mm-hmm. it's almost the same thing as when you fall down on the ground, right? Yeah. Once you when you fall down on your ground, you bruise yourself or you yourself, you pick yourself back up. You know mm-hmm. that's what like as a kid you start crying. Obviously, mommy and daddy comes picks you up, but eventually when you get to the age where you just pick yourself up. You know, maybe like spit on it or pour some water on it and be like, okay, next time I'll be more careful. Yeah, yeah. And so it just expands your whole awareness and your whole perception of what's happening around you. And that's that's what starts your development of a leadership trait, you know? Yeah, that's a big one. That is a big one. Because I realized, you know, ever since I was young or, you know, from an early age, I realized... It's kind of the household and the culture I was brought up in and, and just the school system and whatnot. I wasn't very, I wasn't really exposed to failure at a very young age, mm-hmm. um, you know, not to brag or anything, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of smart. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of smart. And, yeah. 
I did well in How school. Like I, yeah, you know, I, I got. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got decent grades. People liked me. I was. I went good relationships. Mm-hmm. All that. And because I didn't experience any failure, I didn't take any risks. Mm-hmm. I was always just this kind of like you know doing what everybody expected of me, just doing what, whatever, and and not really living life on my own. Mm-hmm. So looking back, I can see how like detriment how damaging it is to to raise someone or to live in that kind of environment right because looking back the life i had was not it was really mediocre like even for a kid mm-hmm. it was super it was super mediocre and i'm like i don't want to live that kind of life forever of course uh the only thing that changed was i had some relationship issues some struggles yeah the girl um you know this yeah. people listening to this may know this um, yeah, I, you know, I, I ran into some relationship issues and that was my first big wake up. And, and because of that, like, you know, if, if someone were to ask me, would you take the option? If you had the option, would you not go through that? Or would you go through that again? I like to say that I want, I would go through that again because yeah, the I would, things I would go learned, through it again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you've, you've experienced that failure too, right? Like you've experienced yeah, that exactly. kind of, yeah, relationship mm-hmm. failure. The things you learn in that in that state, like it's a really shitty state to be in. But the things you learn mm-hmm. while you're in that kind of like pain, it's um, exceedingly fast. Yeah, like, like you learn surprisingly. a lot. Yeah, yeah, like you learn a lot in, in just a couple, uh, couple whatever it is, months, days, whatever it is. But, but well, even then, right? Let's say uh, you absolutely fail at something. I don't, I don't know what it might be, but it's something really major. And it didn't just affect you, but affected everyone around you. Mm-hmm. You also start to see which relationships, like such as friendships uh, and people that truly care about you, you know, because when you're in high school, it's a very, very fake environment mm-hmm. where everyone's buddy to buddy and everyone's like, oh, yeah, we're best friends. We're going to know each other until we're 60 and whatever. But once something yeah. huge happens to you or someone else, Everyone's gonna start. Everyone suddenly avoids that person because of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure. I see that. That's that's when, and you know, as someone, as a person in that position, you really need to observe what's happening around you. You really need to be like, okay, you know, when I was in my hardest times, these were the people that actually stood by my side. You know, they might not say that they're, you're they're your best friends, but they're the ones that are there for you when you struggled the most. They're mm-hmm. the ones for you that cared for you during that mental state, and they're the ones that guided you out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where you you sort of also hit the realization of oh, there's actually people that truly true. There's people that truly care about me, and there's people that you, you know that just say they care about me. Yeah, they're just around for the good times. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that is an important distinction to make. You've entered the industry that you you know you graduated because your program is what like two years or something it was nine months okay nine months yeah yeah i keep forgetting mm-hmm. right? um so your program was nine months you graduate you got you know you got a position and you're working in an industry dude like that story of, of people getting thrashed in the kitchen of like people yelling at each other and like swearing and like that's an intense environment man that's an intense environment to be in it's okay so i'll i'll explain to a lot of listeners that that don't really understand why all this thrashing and all swearing happens in the kitchen the kitchen is essentially a very depending on where you work like if you're at moxie's or whatever it's not like a chain restaurant it's not as high of a stress but when you're in a 
smaller private owned restaurant, and it's leans more towards the fine dining. Mm-hmm. Stress the stress that that festers essentially never gets goes away. You just get used to it. Mm. And for kitchen staff, it's stress comes in two ways. Stress comes against time, and stress is comes from uh, meeting expectations. Mm-hmm. So the reason why you know a kitchen might not be serving anyone, but the chef is yelling at, at someone, is because that individual or that person has not met to the chef's standards. And against time would be during service when there's actually guests outside. You know, mm-hmm. it's essentially in the kitchen you're constantly at war against time. You can never beat it. But you can always, you know, work with it to get to your to the end of service. Right. And if one person holds down the whole process of it, things start getting messed up, and that builds up. And so the reason why a chef would start yelling during at those times would be to make sure that things maintain the way that they're supposed to be. And now this obviously this happens very often. Everyone's perfect, but I'm going to tell you this, this is a very scary study. Like it's a very very scary sight. I had a, I had a six foot two, six foot three, like really big French head chef, Oof. and uh, I was intimidated at the beginning. But after a while, once you understand what they expect from you, things run very very smooth. So that's why there's all that swearing and yeah, thrashing within that kitchen. Now the thing that distinguishes you from from other from some of the other people uh working in the kitchen was you 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 actually pulled through all that you managed to pull through all that thrashing and you managed to just accept all the beatings and come out as a better person but obviously some people aren't capable of doing that some people break down some people can't handle it and and they quit or you know they would they whatever they move on Mm. how did you handle that immense pressure how did you handle all those uh thrashings and beatings one you have to understand principles so my principle was I came in this industry because I loved it. You know, I was attracted to it. I loved it. You know, I watched a lot of shows, documentaries, whatever, on Mm -hmm. this career path. And so one thing that you really need to understand is when you're able to choose something that you want to do and things don't go your way, you need to take responsibility for being like, okay, this is what I chose and I'm going to see it through and I'm going to get it done. That's exactly what you have to do. I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect with it. I was stressed out of my mind for my first three months at my, at my workplace. Uh, and I told you, I almost, I almost walked out of the kitchen on two different occasions. Because I was mm-hmm. like, I almost just dropped everything and walked straight out of the uh, kitchen. And I was like swearing, uh, what, five <laughs> words a second, so to speak. But you have to be able to pull through these situations in order to get to the next step it's almost like climbing a mountain right there's always a bigger mountain next behind it and if you're unable to do that and you give up halfway it's really hard for you to go see it through Mm -hmm. Mm because then the experience from the first time hits you again yeah and you you just can't handle it anymore at that point right right? and i'm I'm just going to say this for the people that are wanting to go into the industry or are go- might go into high stress environments, but for mm-hmm. kitchen staff, it's even when everything is going to shit, just mm-hmm. put your head down and do what you're supposed to do. Just fulfill your role within the kitchen because team job. It's not just yeah. one person carries the whole team. 
It's not like mm-hmm. a high school pro- uh, project, you know, where, you know, <laughs> one person does the whole presentation and you just sign your name on it, right? It's not that. Yeah. You, you yeah. make sure you do your thing properly, you see it through and meet the expectations that were set. And I think that uh, kind of mentality also switch. I, I think that can be applied to any um, like team-based environment, right? even if it's high stress or not, like whether it's high stress or not, because um, even in like university, yeah, I'm in bombarded with assignments and, and deadlines and all these things that you have to do. Mm-hmm. The thought that I, that helps me the most, the thought that helps me get through that tough period is just put your head down and do the shit. You got yourself into this mess. You're going to yeah. see through it. Just put your head down, do the shit one at a time. Because exactly. I think a lot of people, they get overwhelmed. And me especially, I'm guilty of this. They get overwhelmed at all the things that you have to do that they kind of just freeze, you know, like a deer in the headlights. They're mm-hmm. just like fuck like i got i got way too much on my plate right now but it becomes easier over time yeah it does i can handle my workload at school a lot better than i was in first year it definitely does become easier but i think the thing that makes it easier is like you said just focusing on what has to be done don't try to you know don't try to come up with Mm -hmm. shit to get out of the work or don't try to like you know think of ways to not do the thing that you need to do just just do it that's the simplest uh, solution just do it (laughs) Mm -hmm. share the booth just just do it. <laughs> oh man, I mean, he had some truth. <laughs> it was a meme. He did. He did. He, he was speaking some truth, but it became yeah, a meme. Some... Yeah. <laughs> trying to be inspirational, but it became a meme. Yeah. What if that becomes us? <laughs> we're trying to. We're trying to be inspirational. Yeah, but we're probably just gonna end up on a meme. meme. Anyways, yeah. if you see us, make sure we're not a meme. Support us. Yeah. With love and passion. I mean, our turn has to tell me, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, uh, we still want to be able to provide insight for people that are interested and, you know, yeah, talk about that's... topics that might be important to listeners, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, no, because, like, this isn't, you know, yeah, I just want to put this out there that, like, we're not, like, doing this. We're saying we're better than everybody else or because we think we have, like, you know, these, all these credentials or all this credibility. No, we're just yeah. like everybody else. But these are problems that we've faced in our personal lives. These are questions that we've asked, mostly when we're drunk, hence the name Soju Thoughts. But yeah. you know, these are things that we've, we've, we've encountered and we just, this is our way of uh, dealing with them. And I guess we just kind of want to share with the world and, mm-hmm. you know, see, see how things go. And, and to right. that end, we're also very open and welcome to input from other people on how they might have approached different situations on some of their experiences. So Mm. we would love to have you guys on this show as well and and just discuss about Soju thoughts. Yeah. You know, I think our purpose, our purpose here is just to provide insight on Mm -hmm. topics, right? So we might not be the most experienced individuals, but we want to provide insight for those that are relatively around our age or younger yeah. on a different way of how to handle certain situations. So, I mean, if you guys have questions, you know, fire away maybe in our Instagram or Facebook, and mm-hmm. we'd be happy to talk about it with you on the show. I realized that, you know, and this goes back to, to, you know, a lot of things that I've learned actually go back to, to my breakup. <laughs> I feel like yeah. that's going to become a recurring theme throughout this show. But, yeah. um, bear you should just me. nickname you Mr. Breakup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to be known for that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, but like what I realized is like um, everybody has really good insight on how 
they think they should live life. Everybody has, uh, yeah, in some ways, everybody's an expert in living their own life, right? Mm-hmm. And to listen to that kind of expertise and to share mm-hmm. those experiences and to learn and to truly connect with other people on a more, on a deeper, more fundamental level, not just a shallow kind of um, superficial level. I think that is what mm-hmm. improves quality of life dramatically. When you, when you learn just how rich and just how amazing other people's lives are and just, you know, and you learn about all these different experiences and you connect with them. So mm-hmm. through this podcast, right. like that's, not, that's another thing that we kind of want to uh, aim for is we want to connect with people that that's just not about like, you know, you, yeah. like you can connect with anybody on just about anything these days, you know, sports, music, TV, whatever. Yeah. But we want to connect with people on something that's a lot more fundamental than that. Something yeah. that's deeper. So, yeah. yeah. Should we wrap it up there? Yeah. All right. Wrap it up here. Uh, so that was our first episode of Soju Thoughts. Again, let us know. Instagram, Facebook, whatever. We're probably going to have these links uh, in the show notes below. So just yeah. uh, fire away. Even if you have hate, even if you, if you absolutely despise our show, yeah, sure. Send the hate our way as well. Yeah. And hopefully we'll see you guys soon. Take care. Bye-bye.